Oh, I'm electronics free this morning. Oh, well, I guess I'll have to just use my Bible. <laughs> it's come to this. <laughs> Praise God. Well, I want to share some more with you about strongholds today. And before service, somebody prayed um, something about being able to see ourselves as we actually are. And it brought to mind a scripture in 2 Corinthians 4. Paul's talking about the subject of how when the Jews, the unbelieving Jews of their day, you understand all the first Christians were Jewish. Every one of the apostles were Jews. All of the first believers were in Jerusalem. They were Jews. And the problem was some of them had a hard time letting go of the dead religion of the law of Moses, which never brought life and transformation. And so a lot of the letters in the New Testament were written to that. But Paul, Paul shared it like this. He said, even to this day, they, meaning those unbelieving Jews, when they read Moses, a veil is over their face. But when one looks to the Lord, the veil is removed. And so we, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that self-same image, even by the grace of God. So there is a, a power in learning how to view as we look in the mirror, seeing what the Lord sees. We grow from glory to glory into that image. And I, I, this whole exhortation, the word I want to share with you today, I want, I want to encourage us to be patient with that process, but also to be courageous enough to look in that mirror. And, and this is a good, I, I think, like checkpoint along the way in growth in God. When you look in the mirror now, what do you see? What do you see? If you still see that old self, you see the sin, you see the issues, you see all of the sin that remains and the problems that still exist, I want to exhort you to look deeper. Look deeper into that mirror. I know they did this study years ago, I heard, um, with supermodels, and they asked, like, survey questions of them, and the most shocking result of all was that almost every single one of them thought that they were ugly did not see what everybody else sees and why they're on the front of magazines and whatnot. And they just couldn't agree with that. Their self-image was so, you know, through comparison maybe or through whatever had been said to them in their lives, the mean things that were said, whatever. When they looked in the mirror, they saw ugly while the rest of the world saw beautiful. And I would propose to you that we sometimes are too quick to view ugly in the mirror when we look in the inner man, I'm talking. And, and rather than seeing what the Lord sees, when he says, you are lovely, you are beautiful, you are exactly like me with skin on, you are my image in bodily form. Those are the truth, that's the truth. And uh, uh, the reason why this is so important, why I'm kind of pausing on this for a moment, is that religious striving, which is what God said, that's the veil. Even They don't even understand Moses because they got a veil over their face when they're reading it. That is religious striving. Every time we get into a trap of thinking, I've got to overcome the sin that remains in my life. I've got to overcome by sheer willpower all of the things that separate me or what I believe separates me from God. We're entering into religious striving and when we look in the mirror, then guess what we see? We see what Pharisees see when they look at us. What the accuser of the brethren sees when he looks at us. Every wart, every flaw, everything that's wrong. So I hope, and I just pray, Jesus, would you help us today to see in the mirror what you see when you look at us? That you would transform us to acknowledge that you're right and we're wrong. That we are new creatures 
in Christ, we're not the same old person that we used to be. That we are the righteousness of God in Christ. We're not sinners, hopeless, helpless sinners, not anymore. God, would you open our eyes and give us heavenly eyes that we would behold as in a mirror your glory and then reveal that glory to the world around us. Amen. Amen. Oh, and Lord, bless all the hunters who are out there today having fun. Forgive them for skipping church to go shoot Bambi and, you know. <laughs> no, Give them an awesome time in your creation with their family and their sons and grandpas. And I pray that this would be a glorious day for them. May they be successful in their hunt so they could get back to their wives and kids. <laughs> I can't help it. I can't help it. I can't help it. There's, that was inner city Steve, Bambi loving Steve coming to the surface there. I repent. <laughs> so we're looking at strongholds and basically the, the truth of strongholds and toppling strongholds, uh, the simplicity of it is in the title of this, this message. I want to share with you that strongholds are basically you, you get what you feed. You grow whatever you feed. It's just that simple. That in Christ, every stronghold was demolished. It was crucified in Christ on that cross. He made a public display of principalities and powers, everything that would build strongholds and then occupy the strongholds that are built was already crucified in Christ. And so if we want to have those strongholds destroyed, the simple thing to do first is stop feeding them. Stop agreeing with the lies, stop rehearsing the lies, stop believing things that came from the wrong kingdom and instead displace it with righteous strongholds which are based on the truth of God's word, both written and spoken over us. And that's, that's it. I could just kind of sit down and we're done. Because it, it is that simple. Is it easy? No, if it was easy, we'd all be stronghold free the day after we got saved. We'd go under the water and come up and we would be just like Jesus in every way. So this is, I would suggest, this is the process of discipleship. This is what it looks like to grow into that. We, we said last week, you know, we looked at Romans, don't be conformed to this world. In other words, don't try to fit in a box that's not you anymore. Don't conform to the behavior and the lifestyle and the beliefs of the world around us. Instead, be transformed, be actually changed by the renewing of your mind. Actually changed means there's no pretending about it. There is no hypocrisy in being a believer who, with all of our hearts, desires the righteousness of God, aims for the righteousness of God, and falls short on occasion. Hypocrisy is, means we pretend to be something that we're not. You cannot pretend to be a saint of God if you are one. I'm going to say that again because that was deeper than your reaction was. And I, I, that just came to me on the spot. <laughs> you cannot pretend to be a saint of God if you are one. Just live what, what all of discipleship about, and this whole thing of toppling strongholds is live true to who you are in your inner man. And let what's inside begin to be reflected on what's outside. There's no pretending involved in that. A hypocrite is not somebody who aims for the moon and falls short sometimes. You are not a hypocrite because you sinned after you came to Christ. I feel like I need to rest on this point for a few minutes. All right, that was enough, yes. I don't need to rest on it for too long but we do we fall into the trap of believing well I blew it again for the thousandth time and I've heard saints of God who are mature in Christ people that I look to as fathers and mothers in the Lord 
who because they just sinned for the thousandth time think maybe I wasn't even saved in the first place. It didn't take with me. And now we're going down a road where we're looking in that mirror again and we're seeing what the enemy, the accuser, would love for us to see. So what are strongholds? They are bases of operation for demonic access into our lives. So open doors. They, they provide invitations these are standing invitations, open doors for the enemy to come through legal access. How many of you understand this basic truth? You are Christ's. You are his redeemed ones. We are redeemed of the Lord, which means he paid for us. Now we are his own prized possession. That's just the truth that the enemy will have nothing to do about. So we legally only belong to the Lord. And yet, how is it that the kingdom of darkness finds ways into our thinking and therefore our behavior? How is it that we believe things that we know we shouldn't believe? How is it that we do things that we don't want to do? Well, there's usually the case is we got an open door. We didn't shut the door on that. Now I got that goofy, shut the door, keep out the devil. This, that's a stronghold song. The authority that we have in Christ is not that we're gonna kill demons. We don't have the authority to do that. This is where spiritual warfare gets off sometimes. We don't have the authority to consign them to the pit of hell. I used to, when I was new in deliverance ministry back in the 90s, and we used to say, you go back to the pit where you came from, and we don't have the authority to do that. Jesus does. And, and Revelation puts it in living color with this, this lake of fire that in the parable Jesus said prepared for the devil and his angels. Death itself, all the forces of hell, everything will be thrown into that lake of fire. Their day is coming. What we do have authority over first and foremost is whatever goes on within the walls of our being. Body, mind, soul, spirit, we have authority over that. So the only way the enemy gets any authority is if he tricks us into letting him borrow our authority by opening a door into our lives. So we're going to look at some of how that happens today. Is that all right? All right. I hope this is helpful. I've got good news for you. Really good news. There is no shame in having strongholds. There is no shame in having a demon if you're in Christ. We, I hope uh, next week, finally, I've got like three weeks of teasers. Next week, I will address the issue of can a Christian have a demon? <laughs> I'm so tempted to just go into it now, but I think it's better to, to whet your appetite because the Bible isn't extraordinary clear about it. I'm not going there. I'm not, not the way. Lord, help me stay on track like you told me to. There's no shame in having a demon or having strongholds in us any more than you would be ashamed of having a cold. And that is about the level of what demons have that they could do in our lives. They have the strength of nothing more than a virus that is microscopic, if unaddressed, can be fatal. But it is so tiny, it is microscopic. That is about as much as a demon, even Satan himself is, in comparison to a saint of God, the least of those. So the simple formula, be excellent, at what is good, right? Submit yourselves to God, therefore resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Be excellent at what is good, be innocent of evil. If only it were that easy. Be excellent at what's good, be innocent of evil. Now you got the song in your head, some of you. And what'll happen? The God of peace will do what? Crush Satan under his feet. Somebody prayed that in pre-service prayer, now I got the song in my head. 
And even though that's one of the rare verses, I always remember the address. Because Romans 16, 19 says, be excellent of what is good, be innocent. It's just that simple, but it's not easy, is it? If it were easy, we all would have mastered this by now. So the good news is there's no shame in any of this. I, I just say and pray in Jesus' name that all shame will be checked at the door of this sanctuary. You know what's that? We call this room the sanctuary. It's not actually. I mean, it, I think there's something special about this place, not because it's uh, uh, anything special, but it's because this is where the people of God hang out. That makes us special. Everywhere the people of God come together, two or three in his name, Jesus is there. That makes us special. But the word sanctuary means a safe place. Oh, if only every church was a sanctuary, like an actual safe place. I know, and some of you I know from your story, that there have been those that have been hurt because you exposed yourself in front of a group of Christians that you thought were going to lay hands on you and pray and treat you like somebody who had a sickness, not like somebody who deserves a punishment for what you did wrong. And because of our view of sin and our Pharisaic way of approaching it, maybe some of you were made to feel ashamed of yourself because of the things you'd done. Maybe you even sensed people pull away from you after you confessed your faults or confessed your sin and you felt people say, it's a little out of my league right there. I don't think I want to be influenced or hang around you. And I want to just tell you right now, Jesus was not afraid to hang out with anybody. Jesus' spiritual autoimmune system was so strong that you couldn't even get leprosy on him. The old covenant said, don't touch the leper. Why? Because you could get leprosy and you can be miserable for the rest of your life and die an early painful death because of that. Then comes Jesus in complete violation of the old covenant law of Moses. He doesn't just speak healing over lepers. He touches them. I love that scene in The Chosen when Jesus heals that leper. You know, and all the disciples, oh, don't get near him. And then he touches him, and all of a sudden he's got this baby skin, and then Jesus comes back, and all the apostles are freaked out, like, what just happened? And then he goes and he touches all of them. (laughs) When our spiritual autoimmune system is strong, there's nobody that we can't go near. It cannot get on us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This is why we want to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might because God is sending us to places where people are so jacked up, so broken, so addicted, so hopeless, so full of anxiety and fear and depression that we've got to be able to go in there with all confidence. Whatever you got, it's not going to get on me, but what I got in me is going to get on you. C.S. Lewis called what we have in us a good infection. How many want to be infectious? Like where you go, instead of like, you go into that office you work at, and it's, I just remember the scene from, you remember the movie Joe versus the Volcano? Mentioned that in front of my wife sometime, I watch her expression, and she hates it. It's this really awful movie. But to have this scene where he's working in his little cubicle office, and it's got this light, one of those old fluorescent lights, and it's blinking, always blinking, right? I mean, just thinking about it right now, I feel stressed. And everybody's, you know, miserable, and it's dark and gray, and all of that. Maybe you go into a workplace that's like that. Well, guess what? You're the light of the world. You brought something different in that place. You are not under the spirit of that place, but it belongs under your feet. 
The God of peace will soon crush Satan, not under his feet, under your feet. Yeah, that's a great way to live life. It really is a great way to live life. So you got a stronghold like you got a cold. I got good news. The Lord who heals is knocking at the door of those strongholds today. And you're not going to leave this place the same way you came in. And if it didn't work today, we're coming back next week and we're going to go after it some more. And if it didn't work on Sunday, you got all the other days of the week surrounded by people who believe every word I'm saying that are happy to help you till you watch strongholds come down like the walls of Jericho. (laughs) I just want to encourage you, be patient with the process, but also be responsive to the process. Patient means it may not happen instantly every single time. I love those moments. I love, I've been set free from sin issues in my life at the laying on of hands. Somebody prayed for me. Sometimes I prayed for myself and that was it. Never even tempted anymore. I laugh when that temptation's presented to me. Then there are other things like, you again? I'm doing that again? I'm 33 years old in Christ. How could it possibly be again? And that, be patient with the process. How, we, how this works though, is that we're not kicking back waiting for Jesus. We say the finished work of the cross, which it is, but how many of you know there's a cooperative process in that? That there is something that God does to bring strongholds to the surface. His power is there to address it, but we have to cooperate with him. I shared with you last week the, the quote, I forget who said it, but it was so good. You can't be delivered from a demon that you're partying with. If you're still enjoying the company of a demonic spirit, you can't be set free from it because you don't want to be set free from it. Your will, our will is involved in all strongholds and all deliverance and everything from the kingdom of darkness. So long as we cooperate with it, it's got that standing invitation, an open door. We have said without saying the words, maybe you can come in anytime. You're welcome here. I quite enjoy your presence. That's why when, when Paul said, man, in my, in my mind, I love the law of God. And then I find this other law at work in me and I find the thing I don't want to do, I do. What I want to do, I don't do. What's he saying? He's not saying, man, I love these strongholds. I'm going to live with them. He's saying, this is a wrestling match. I'm constantly fighting these things and oh, I want to be delivered from this body of death so I'm not even tempted anymore. Who, Who will deliver me from this body of sin? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. We're not stuck with anything for the rest of our lives. Only the things we choose to remain stuck with for the rest of our lives. So there's this thing that it says in the preamble in the Gospel of John about Jesus. And th- these are moments. You want just simple discipleship. Is, uh, um, we're working on a discipleship curriculum right now that I think we may even publish here. And I'm getting input from some saints in the house on devotionals and stories, things like that. But um, there's something that John says at the beginning about Jesus. There is the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. So in other words, John's saying, you know, Jesus, he was in the beginning, the word, and so on about Jesus. And then, and then he says, what Jesus did when he came into the world, he enlightened every man. He gave everybody an opportunity to actually see what was going on. 
to see the inside and the truth of how, what a wretch we are, separated from God, the truth about who he is. We had, so everybody had opportunity. You know, when you're blind, you're not responsible to paint a picture of a tree because you can't see it. If you've lived in darkness all of your life and you've been in a cave for your entire life, nobody's gonna hold you accountable to describe the mountains outside that cave because you never saw it. Well, what this says is that Jesus, one of his ministries as being the light of the world is, I'm gonna show you everything as it really is. I'm gonna, I'm gonna illuminate it. Now you have an option again. You have a choice of what to do with this truth that's been revealed before your eyes. This, we're watching this culturally right now. God is answering our prayers. Many of you, like me, have been praying for years, even decades now. Lord, reveal the sin that's been in secret places of our government. Reveal the conspiracies. Reveal those that have been undermining, even engaged in outright treason. Would you bring it into the light so everybody can see? And now there are some things that are just plain as day out in the light. The problem is not everybody reacts the way we should when those things get exposed. Well, it's like that on our individual basis. This is what salvation's all about. We had all of who we are exposed before the Lord and we made a decision the day we were saved. I agree with you. Confession means I agree with your judgment about what I now see and I'm throwing myself at the mercy of the cross. I need to be saved. So that doesn't, as, as we've been looking at, salvation's not a once and done deal. Salvation is a daily occurrence. So how does this work? There are moments where life brings experiences our way and it brings something to the surface. Maybe it's words that come out of our mouth. Maybe it's an action that we do or an attitude of the heart or a, a, re, a knee-jerk reaction to something. And afterward, we go, what was that? I don't even agree with the words that came out of my own mouth. I can't believe I actually just said that. I can't believe I actually just did that. These are moments where the light of the world now has given us an opportunity for whatever's left to come to the surface. Now what are we gonna do? We're gonna cooperate with God. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna say, okay, Lord, I see it now. I see what you see. Now, deliver me from this. I need to be free of this. I don't want this in me. I don't want the words in my mouth when I get angry bubbling over so I hurt my kids. I don't want the, the attitude of my heart to affect the excellence which, which, with which I do my work because I've, I've got a bad attitude about my employer. All of those things, we cooperate with God when they get revealed. So let me read to you again, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is really where we get the term strongholds from and how we understand the whole thing about how they work. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. That would be dead religious striving. That would be putting the veil back on and reading even the Bible and saying, well, all I gotta do is read the Bible and do it, and that's all I really need. And if that was all we really needed, then we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit, and we wouldn't need God for this whole process. This is not a rule book. It's a book that describes what's written on our heart and when we cooperate with the Spirit of God, we experience all the joy of it and all the fullness of it. So for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses or strongholds. We are destroying speculations, we are destroying every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's strongholds. That is, put that to memory, and I'm gonna break it down, and we're gonna walk through it right now. I'm gonna, uh, this is a teaching now on how to do self-deliverance. 
That's what this is. You don't always need somebody to pray for you to set you free from the strongholds that remain in your life. Once they're revealed, you have the authority by the one who is in you to tear down every stronghold as it becomes manifest. It's all going to be a matter of your choice and what we do when those things get revealed. So they are divinely powerful, not just powerful, they're empowered by God for the destruction of strongholds. What are strongholds? These are points or arguments in which one trusts. That's the definition of the word fortress or stronghold in the scripture. A stronghold is an argument. It's something that we put our trust in. It's something that we view uh, as it's like a belief system or belief about something. It's an outlook on life. It is a worldview is another translation for that. It, it's just a way that we, it's like a lens through which we view life, the universe, and everything. We view the people around us through this. We view um, God through this. We view circumstances through this. Everything that we experience in life is filtered through a stronghold. Now, we can have godly strongholds just as much as we can have demonic strongholds. A godly stronghold would look like every single thing I see, I see through the filter of Christ. I see that person who's like an enemy to me, who opposes me at every turn, who slanders me, who's trying to make my life miserable on purpose. I'm going to view them through a filter. How does Christ view that person? That's a, that's a righteous stronghold. It's getting quiet. Did I pick the wrong example right out of the gate to start with? When we resist the word of the Lord, it's because we have a stronghold that's arguing against the knowledge of God. More on that in a minute. This is like the, the cultural phrase, which is so annoying, is your truth. The, it, what's your truth? What it really means is what's your perspective. But your perspective can be warped if you're viewing it through a demonic stronghold, if you have a lens for viewing life that's become twisted somehow, it's looking like through one of those funhouse mirrors. This is kind of what strongholds do. They, they allow you to look at yourself like, you know, that one that's, that makes you look really fat, like you walk up to it and all of a sudden you weigh 500 pounds. Some people think that that's what they look like in the world, but it's a distorted mirror through which we view ourselves, a distorted lens through which we view the world. And, and that's what these strongholds are. Strongholds are deeply held beliefs that cause us to think and then behave. Demonic strongholds, I mean, in ways that we don't want. Because to us, it's as true as the truth. Your truth, your perspective, our perspective, with everything that we look at, we believe with all of our hearts, that is reality. The humility that's necessary, and we have a whole generation alive right now that needs to learn this humility, that my perspective is just my perspective. It doesn't mean I have a handle on the truth. It doesn't mean that I have all the truth. It doesn't mean I understand better than everybody else around me. There is no such thing as my personal truth about who God is. There's no such thing as my personal truth about life, the universe, and everything. It's either true or it's not true. And what stronghold, demonic strongholds will do is twist it. And, and the problem with it is that we believe it with all of our heart. A demonic stronghold of unforgiveness, for example, will cause us to see things in somebody that don't even exist. 
when we have unforgiveness that's turned into bitterness and hardness of heart toward another being, brother or sister in Christ, anybody that's out there, we will look at even the good things that they do as if they just harmed us all over again. Because we know their motives. Oh, I know why he really did that. And he's trying to manipulate me and he's conniving and, and, and all of this. And that's what the stronghold of unforgiveness and bitterness will do and resentment will do. So that even when somebody tries to do good and they sacrifice and they lay down their life for me, I view that as you're trying to get something from me. That these things are so powerful because we believe with all of our heart, my truth is reality. And that's why we need to be delivered from these things. So the basic way strongholds work, they are not fortresses like stones. They're living, breathing things. I think I started sharing that last week. These are not just static you know, it's not, there's, just like the Bible, you know, this is not a static book. The word of God is living and active, right? It's sharper than any two-edged sword, even though it's written in black and white or on tablets of stone, as it were, it's still alive. It's not a dead thing. Strongholds in us are not dead things made of stones, which are comprised of things I'll show you in a minute. These things are alive. So strongholds have fruits, which are manifest in our thoughts and behaviors, manifest in the words of our mouth out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks so strongholds have fruits which means that they have roots which are the underlying beliefs so if if we believe a certain thing it'll cause us to behave a certain way cause us to think a certain way so i put this diagram together from a a course if you really want to dig in and more personalize this um i taught a class here a few years ago called love never fails and we got, it's really mainly about the issue of forgiveness, which is the mother of all strongholds. Unforgiveness toward God, unforgiveness toward the people who have wounded us in our life. That is like the seed from which most every stronghold grows. So just to give you an example of this, we have the fruit of the tree, which is our beliefs and our, our beliefs which lead to behaviors inside of our root system, our beliefs, thoughts, and things that we meditate on. Proverbs 23 7 says for as he thinks within himself so he is so the thoughts that we have going on our belief system the structure of what makes our reality to us real feeds things and if it goes into the root it'll end up in the fruit I tried to teach all my kids that about being really careful what you take in with your eyes and with your ears and with your life experiences because if it gets into the root system, if you're drinking from that well, the fruits are going to make themselves known. It's just a matter of time. So let's say you have an issue, you have trust issues, right? We have trust issues. That's a fruit of our life. We just don't trust people. Now, where would that come from? Why would somebody who's confident in Christ, I have Christ in me, I am made to love, and yet I have a tendency when I meet somebody, keep them at arm's length. I'm not going to let you in. You're not getting any, I'm not gonna, you're gonna touch me with a 10 foot pole. Why would anybody do that anyway? That's the weirdest expression we have. I wouldn't touch that with a 10 foot pole. I've never been tempted to touch anything with a 10 foot, anyway. I have trust issues. Why do I have trust issues? Why does somebody have trust issues? Because people have violated their trust. Oh, it's an amazing thing. Some people think, well, I am logical in my life. 
I go about life and I'm just, you know, I think things through and I come to a conclusion and it's all logic based. And then, and, but my, my friend or, you know, usually this husband and wife, my wife, she tends to be more emotionally driven in life and acts on her emotions like that. I want to tell you something. Every emotion has a reason for being there. Every feeling, every response. I mean, men tend to, you know, men generally speaking. There's some women who are more logical, so they think. But everybody has things that cause us to react in a way that's not logical. If we're in Christ, it is logical to bless those who curse us. That's the renewed mind way of viewing the world, right? If we're in Christ, it is logical to forgive 70 times, seven times in one day, if somebody even has time to do that. Do you ever try to, don't try to do that, but you ever think of what that would take? 490 times in a day to sin against somebody? Dude, I mean, you gotta be like walking behind somebody and cussing out them or something for the whole day. That's logical because we have the mind of Christ. The renewed mind can do that. But, the, but why is it so hard then? Why is it so hard? And we react like, nah, that's, some, that's enough now. Like boundaries. I'm not gonna go there. We've, we've done it too much, guys. The, the boundaries thing, compare it to scripture before you just go all in. I, I believe in it. I believe there are some people you're not allowed in here because you're too hurtful. But I think we overdo it with the boundaries and we, we cut people out of our lives that God said, no, 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 I want you to stay close and love them into life. All right, that's all I'm going to say on that. So why does somebody have trust issues? Because they've been hurt, they've been disappointed, they've been judged, they've been mistreated. And so now, the issues, by the way, the fruits will come out. Sometimes you could summarize it in a statement. And I won't take the time to go into that. But trust issues, you could say, well, people are not trustworthy. And I'll show you in a few minutes the way we go after that is, well, why do I believe that? Why do I believe that? What, what root am I drawing from? What things am I finding in life that have caused me to reach such a strong conclusion that nobody gets the benefit of my doubt anymore? Everybody is suspicious. Everybody's sus. <laughs> See, I gotta, I gotta stay hip. I got kids, I got teenagers. So. Everybody is sus to me until they prove otherwise. Instead of being the other way around, love believes all things hopes all things, endures all things. That's what we're made for. So that's the, uh, that's the basic um, way that these strongholds work. So toppling strongholds happens when we bear ever-increasing measures of the fruits of the Spirit. If we don't like the fruit of our lives, God's given us a solution. It's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That just by having the Spirit of God in us, we are destined to become more righteous, more, more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, love, joy, peace, more patient, more kind, more good, more faithful, more self-controlled and gentle. It's just our destiny. And, and, and trees do not strive to bear the fruit for which they were planted. Pastor Dave did this one years ago. I think I've, I've done it before, but some of you are new, so I'm gonna do it again because you'll never forget this. Just like I never forgot it. And it was like 23 years ago I did it. You don't go through an apple orchard in the fall and hear, <laughs> and then the tree's got apples on it. 
There's no striving and bearing fruit. We get so stressed out sometimes. Oh man, God, I, I, I need more patience. I'm not bearing enough fruits of patience yet. Don't ever say that or pray that. You know that, right? I'm only half kidding. <laughs> it's not a matter of striving. It's a matter of feeding the right root system in our lives. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And over the course of time, it's a matter of time. You're gonna bear the fruit. And then you're going to find moments where you say, oh my goodness, I thought I had more patience than that. And guess what? It might be time for some pruning. It's time for some pruning of the branches, pruning of the roots, and God's going to help you bear more fruit of patience. The point is, when we see the wrong kind of fruit on our tree, that is not the moment to panic and slip back into religious striving. That'll only serve to feed that very thing that we're trying not to do. You've noticed that, right? The harder we try not to do something, the more likely you are to do it. It's like driving. I know I've shared this picture with you before, but here it is again. I, I learned to drive in New York City. It's the funniest thing living in Millersburg because they have these streets that will fit two cars on it. You know exactly where I'm going with this. But, you know, if you're driving, and I'll get, like, that far away from the mirrors on the cars on my right. But, and there's, like, a truck room for a school bus on the other side. But somebody will stop and wait for me to go by because they don't want to come within a yard of, of my vehicle. And it's just a matter of training and getting used to it. There's always a car that far away from me in New York City. But the, the scariest thing is driving through, they call them Jersey Barriers, Right? And you go in and all of a sudden, like if you're driving a truck or a bus and, and you got like that much space on both sides, it's terrifying. Do you know what the worst thing is to do when you're driving an oversized load in through the middle of traffic is to look at the things you don't want to crash into. If you look at that Jersey barrier, what happens? Next thing you know, you see sparks because you're rubbing up against it. What do you do? Keep your eyes on the road in front of you because you're doing fine. Stay on the road and don't look at the thing you don't want to hit. It's just like that with all issues of life. Be filled with the Holy Spirit continually, daily, and just let it bear its fruit. You're going to be amazed at what happens on the inside. You're going to look back at yourself 10 years from now and go, wow, look at what, I, look at what I've become. Oh, what fruits of righteousness I'm bearing in my life because I let Jesus do the work instead of resisting him and trying to do it all on my own. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty for the destruction of strongholds. How does it happen? We bear new kinds of fruit. So strongholds are manifest with every disconnect between the mind and heart. You ever find yourself saying, I know I shouldn't feel this way, but... Pay attention to those times. When, the, when there's a moment where we, I'm feeling something right now and I know better than to feel this way. You just spotted a stronghold. You just spotted something that's a belief system, something that's rooted so deep. That's why all feelings are logical. Because it got there somehow. Somehow we came to a conclusion that we made a belief in our lives and there's a reason for that. It's unreasonable to resist the Lord. It's unreasonable to disagree with God. It's really unreasonable to argue with God, right? So if we have something that results in a disconnect, I know better than this, but I feel like this. You spotted it. I love how Randy Clark says it with deliverance ministry. If you spot them, you got them. Because the best thing for the kingdom of darkness is to remain in darkness. I know that's really 
like 101 level stuff there, but it's so true. The devil doesn't need glory. He doesn't need really any, he doesn't want to be in the light. He prefers dark places. That's why he hates you so much. The devil hates you so much. He hates us so much because when the light of the world comes around, he's got nowhere to hide. Every corner of the room is filled with light and now we could see him for the weakling, the ugly, nasty thing that he is. Now we can see how he actually is. And he wasn't anywhere near as strong as we used to think he was. So whenever there's a disconnect, why do we say a disconnect? Because Christ in us, the hope of glory, is on the inside. We have the mind of Christ. We do know better and desire better. He makes us to will and to do of his good pleasure. There's something in us that loves what God loves. So when we think or behave in a way that's contrary to that, there's a disconnect in us and we're at, we're at unrest about it. Todd asked me a question for this week's podcast related to something I shared a while back about shame. And this is another one of those truths that somebody got a great revelation on them. We ran too far with it because shame initially is a good thing. Shame means I'm ashamed of what I did, meaning I don't like looking at, that's the picture of shame is I don't want to look at that. I don't want to look at what I just did because it's contrary to who I am. I just behaved in a way that's not true to myself. Having an initial feeling of shame is another word for conviction. I am convinced that I just did something that I don't want to do and and I don't like what I see. How we respond to that shame, now that's where we can get off. If we get under it and say, well, shame on me. I'm going to punish myself. Jesus isn't sending me to my room, so I'll go send myself to my room. I'll go stand in the corner, put a dunce cap on, and punish myself. That's what we mean by how shame, we don't put shame on anybody else. But when we have that internal feeling like, I don't want to look at that. We don't turn away from it. If we say, I don't want to look at that anymore, we take our weapons of warfare, which are powerful for the destruction of that stronghold. That's what we do. So when there's this disconnect, now we know we're dealing with a stronghold. So identifying and destroying strongholds begins with asking a simple question. You should write this one down. Why do I believe this? Why do I believe that? Why do I find myself believing this way about people, about that kind of situation? Why do I believe, I'm gonna meddle today, this is gonna be fun right here. Why do I believe that if I grab a microphone and get up in the front and I prophesy and say what God just told me, that it's a terrifying experience? Why do I believe that? Everybody is so friendly here. This is what everybody who's a new member of Hillside, we're about to bring some new members in. We've been meeting with them, getting ready a week or three. We're gonna put them in and pray over them and (laughs) love on them and hug on them. And every single one of them in the initial class said, what was it about Hillside that made you feel like this was home? So everybody's so friendly here. Everybody, it feels like family. They're so loving and accepting. And, but I'm afraid to get a microphone in front of my face and share something with them. That's terrifying. Why do I believe that? I used to believe that. You, I'm tell, you guys, some of you have said, nah, man, you're just making it up. I would, if you'd have gotten me as a teenager, no way on God's green earth under any circumstance would I ever be face-to-face with one person to share truth or share something with them, much less a room full of people. Why do I believe that? That's the first question to ask. Why do I believe that? Then let the Holy Spirit search your heart and know you, try you, test you, probe around, take the fig leaves off and be in the garden naked and unashamed as it was in the beginning. 
My favorite expression of what it was like in the garden. They were naked and they were unashamed. I got nothing to hide. Where can I hide from your presence anyway? That David found that out. All of us have found that out. And why would I hide from a God who sees it all, knows it all, and chose me anyway? This God loves us so much that he not only forgave us of all of our sins we did before we came to Christ, but he saw everything we were going to do from then until the end of time. And he still said, mine, 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 mine. And then he called us by name, just in case we said, oh, he must have been talking to the guy behind me. He called us by name and said, you are mine, just in case. Vince, you are mine. I'm talking on behalf of Jesus, you're not mine. Just make sure we're clear. He called us by name. You're mine. So when, when, we, uh, when we start with that, why do I believe that? Let the Lord take you on the journey. And you're going to be amazed. This is where overthinking it will be a detriment to us. Overthinking it is now taking on our own salvation instead of trusting him with the process. Just let the first phrase, the first picture, the first thought that comes to your mind, take it as from the Lord answering you. If you are before the Lord transparently saying, God, why do I believe this? Take seriously whatever thing pops in your head. Sometimes it'll be a memory that you didn't even know you still had. You know, we, we've had so many millions of experiences in our lives and I, I was just talking with somebody and a testimony of their life is that they were physically and sexually abused as a child and didn't even remember it. They buried it so deep, this is very common, buried it so deep just so they could live life without being totally destroyed all the time. And, and they were just, they, they found issues popping up in their lives. And they had a moment with the Lord, this person had a moment with the Lord and said, what's going on with me? And instantly she got a picture of being molested when she was a child. She didn't even know if it really happened or not. To her, it felt like, man, where did that come from? I don't even know if that was really me. And it turned out as, as she went into it and her pastor helped her with it, that yeah, that had actually happened multiple times. She didn't even remember it. So look, let the Lord search and probe and don't be afraid. And let me ask you this question. If you had a 100% blockage in a portion of your heart and you were going to die, would you not lay on a table and trust yourselves, trust yourself to perfect strangers who will make you unconscious, strip you naked, shave your chest, put a saw on your ribs, crack it open and touch your heart, your physical heart? We'll do that with a perfect stranger for the sake of living another season of life how much more we trust the master surgeon with the issues of our heart and say, God, go ahead, man. You could go wherever this leads. I'm not afraid of what you're going to find there because you were already there before you laid the foundations of the earth. You knew this. You knew this about me. You knew this would happen. You knew how I'd respond to it. And here I am. I'm on the table right now. And, and anesthesia is the best picture. I am not going to resist you. And I'm not going to, certainly not going to tell you how to do it. Can you fathom being on that operating table and you got one eye open, you go, wait, 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 a little left. <laughs> if we're going to trust ourselves to an expert like that with something that could kill us, if it goes wrong, how much more the God of our salvation, the Father of lights who loves us and who's no shadow of turning. He's not going to change his mind halfway through the surgery. So oh, this one's a goner. He is all in for our total healing, our total peace. So 
we are, it's, uh, so we said divinely powerful for the destruction of strongholds. And now let's look at how these strongholds get built. It's a process of building it. They get roots. It's the foundation of the strongholds. So it says destroying speculations. This is the Greek word logismos, where we get our word logic from. So remember I said that all emotions, every feeling of the heart has a logical reason for being there. And some, at somehow at some point, it made sense to us to go down that road or believe that way. This is how it happens. A speculation is a calculation, a conclusion, or even a judgment. This is, this is what we do in response to events around us, to people around us, to issues of life. And we even do this with God himself. We come to certain conclusions based on the events of life. So there are things, for example, that the, the enemy doesn't play fair. He doesn't operate under the Geneva Conventions for the rules of war. He'll start in our infancy. He'll start in the womb. He'll start with our childhood when we don't even understand what's happening. So I, I was with a guy that was ministering to me in inner healing, and I was resisting some of what he was working on with me because I kept saying, well, I know better than that now. I know my dad didn't do that. I understand that my dad, you know, he grew up a certain way, and this was his way of showing me love, even though it hurt. And he said, well, well hold on. I'm not asking about 40-year-old pastor Steve. I'm asking about 8-year-old Steve. What conclusion did you reach at that time? And it was a hurtful moment. I reached a conclusion that I'm not worthy of my father's time. I'm not valued by my father because I, I misunderstood his thing that he did. And, and this is how they start. I, may, I reached a conclusion. Speculations are based on whatever strongholds we believe. So if we have one, now I'm reaching a conclusion based on a belief I already have. So, you know, if you've been hurt by women many times before, if I had a nickel for every time I heard a man say, oh, women. You know what they're like. Bing, 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 stronghold, because they're not all like that, whatever that is. Not everybody fits within that lens, but when you believe something about something, you, you ever hear of confirmation bias? When you believe something, you're looking for it, you find it everywhere you look. Like, you know, I noticed today that most of the guys that came to church today are wearing sneakers in church. I, I did. I noticed that. Now, what are you all going to do at the end of service right now? Right? Some of you are you're like going to stand at the door and count how many men are wearing sneakers. Because I drew a tear. I didn't, by the way. I just said that. Because the enemy is a good liar, and I thought I would just mess with your heads. <laughs> Confirmation bias is that if we, maybe you trusted me. So you go, oh, cool. Most of the men are wearing sneakers, you know. I don't think they are, but maybe they are. I'm looking now, every man I see, almost every man I see, those are nice shoes. Anyway. <laughs> if we believe it, we're finding evidence to justify our belief. We're looking around at life for evidence so that we feel self-satisfied and self-righteous in our little stronghold that we've made. And we'll see the worst in people. We'll see that issue everywhere we go. If I would say, you know, like I noticed there's just a lot of white Toyota Corollas around town lately. You're going to notice every one of those when you drive down the street. You ever know when you buy a new car or you get a new vehicle? You ever notice now you notice them everywhere? My wife got a Toyota 4Runner a couple of years ago. I see every one of them on the road now. 
I never noticed them before. That's how strongholds are fortified. We, conv we convince ourselves we're right by looking for evidence of that everywhere we go. So that's why we find ourselves building strongholds whenever we try to interpret life, events of our life, people who come into our life, anything that happens. If we try to interpret life without inviting God into our conclusions, now we're, we're in real danger of building strongholds. So let's say you have a really hurtful, even traumatic incident. If we're not careful, we can shove God out of the equation and come to our own conclusions. I, and so I'll always be afraid of that circumstance now. I got bitten by a Doberman when I was 12 years old. He was a stray, he was out in my neighborhood. That was when Dobermans were all the rage in the inner city because of big scary guard dogs. This one was on the loose and I had a cast on my arm. And he was a trained attack dog. He saw the cast, went after me and he was going for my throat. I picked up my arm and he bit right through and it was just absolutely terrifying. Now I'll tell you every dog for the next few years of my life, I love dogs. I had an old English sheepdog at the time, and those are gigantic beasts of, I mean, they're doofy, but they're beasts, and they're, you know, just so big, and I love dogs. It was a long time before I reach out and pet a dog again, because something traumatic had happened. Now, when trauma comes our way, somebody wrongs us, hurts us deeply, or something in life happens, we have got to, in that moment, invite God in. Help me to see things like you see them. Lord, don't let me come to a conclusion anything different than what you want me to see in this. A good question to ask when life gets hard and when things are going awry is, Lord, what are you at work to do in this situation? Because the truth is that God is able to make most things work together for good. He's able to make all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So a really good question, instead of asking, why is this happening to me? would rather be, Lord, what do you want me to see in this and what do you want me to learn in this? Even if it means you're revealing something in me through this that I didn't even know was there. Lord, educate me on the way of my own heart. So let me, let me see things. Let me not come to a conclusion that's gonna push you away because the chief goal of every work of darkness and every stronghold that gets built, the chief purpose of them all is to lie to us and to try to separate us from the love of God in Christ. That's been his game since the beginning. Since the original lie that pre preceded the original sin, I wanna convince you that God is not for you. He's not good. He doesn't love you. That's the mother of all strongholds. So if we don't involve God in our conclusions, here's the danger, and this is what the enemy would love to happen. We say things like, well, I just gotta figure this out. I'm gonna go talk to my friends, who by the way, if you've got friends that always seem to confirm whatever you're thinking in your heart, you need a new set of friends. Or you need at least some more people in your circle of friends who are gonna sometimes have the courage and love for you to do the faithful are the wounds of a friend thing that somebody's gonna tell you, you know what, Blair? You're being really boneheaded about this right now. That's how my friends talk to me. I give them permission, and that's my native New York language. You're being an idiot. <laughs> Don't say that if it's, you know, if that's not in your culture, but the point is, speaking truth, there are people that are not afraid to say the truth 
Because the goal of, of when, we, when we say, I gotta figure it out, and we pull other people in, those moments, they, there are moments of truth. Those are moments where life gets decided. Something just happened that's really hurtful, it's tragic, it's grievous, whatever the case may be. And if we're not careful, we just got another stone built in a stronghold or we started a brand new one if we don't involve God in it. He, so when we're dealing with these things, when we don't involve God in our conclusion about life's events, now we're running the risk of becoming offended with God. We always talk about being offended with people, but what happens when we, come, we become offended with God? Well, that's the mother of all strongholds. Why? If we're offended with God, are we gonna invite him in to help us interpret life? Are we gonna say, God, I need to be rescued right now? God, I need to be healed right now? God, I need you right now? Not if we're offended with him, we're not. If we're offended with God, arm's length, I'll figure this out on my own. We're right back to where we were in that situation when we first met him. When he first came into our lives, stiff-arming God, keeping him out of all of what we need him in for, for salvation from this issue. Does that make sense? So the most common offense, let me just dig in on this one for just a few minutes here. The most common offense against God comes through the door of unforgiveness. A person wrongs us in some way, sins against us, and rather than extend the same mercy that we've received from God, we hold them in a place of judgment. That's what unforgiveness simply means. I am keeping you in a place of judgment. I prefer to have you under my thumb. I feel morally superior to you right now because you sinned against me and you owe me for that. You should be punished for that. And even if we don't offer punishment, we don't do something to harm that person in response, we're hoping that God's gonna get them. That's unforgiveness. So it's like we think, all right, I'll forgive you, meaning I'm not gonna exact revenge on you, but I know God's gonna get you. That's unforgiveness. So Jesus said the strongest words he had to say to his disciples were on the subject of unforgiveness. He told the parable of the unmerciful servant, guy who got forgiven of a great debt, wouldn't extend forgiveness, meaning I'm letting you go for your debt to somebody who owed him a very little. And in the end, the king came back to that dude and he said about his sentence now, hand him over to the tormentors until he's paid in full. So in other words, you've received grace and all I ask is that you extend it on my behalf in return to those around you. Show everybody what I'm actually like because they all think I'm a God of judgment. They all think I'm a God who can't wait to take you out and punish you for what you did. And that's what unforgiveness does. So unforgiveness leads to offense with God because if we remain offended with somebody and we don't extend that mercy to them, now we're getting impatient waiting for the hammer to fall. We may say, I've let it go, but in our heart we haven't because we're holding out for God's judgment. And so the conclusion we can reach, what the enemy would love for us to think, God is not just, he was fine with that happening to you. He was actually okay, he saw that thing, and even though he could have stopped it, he didn't. Even though he could right now punish that person for what they did, they're getting away scot-free, they literally are getting away with murder, and therefore you can't trust God. Stronghold sealed, gates are up, and now we are locked into offense with God. What a tragic place to remain. Whom the sun sets free. It's really, really free. There is a grace to forgive that is supernatural. 
there is a grace to actually, from the heart, release somebody so that it never bothers us again. My friend reminded me of something that Dave Hess did years ago. This is when you hold something against somebody. I'm holding this paper against this pole. And if I'm going to hold this paper against this pole, I am stuck with that for as long as I hold it against them. That's how the stronghold of unforgiveness works. But I can choose to walk away and say, God, you deal with it. I think I know what just happened. Pay no attention to that. They could be stuck with it. But I'm not. That worked out even better. That was supernatural. Now, their sin is on them. And it, look, and the, the reality is God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, he shall reap. God will take care of it. He is the righteous judge. He knows the motive and he knows the issue. And they can experience forgiveness one day too. <laughs> All they got to do is the same thing we did to begin to experience forgiveness. That's repent, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. But even if that doesn't happen, we can be free of the sins of others by asking God for the grace. Remember, this is all fruits. This is not by effort. We will hurt ourselves and fall back under condemnation. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm still, I still feel mad at that person or I'm still hurt by what that person did. Be patient and let the fruits of righteousness come in their season. Only keep eyes on the Lord and keep asking him, Lord, set me free from that sin that person did against me and let them go free for what they did because we have in us a Christ who on the cross looked out at a crowd who put him on the cross and he not only said, I forgive you, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is in that forgiveness class and I'm gonna just stop because I, I think it's important to note that we know that we have forgiven from the heart when we have compassion on the one who sinned against us. That's when we know. God, give me your lens. Replace my stronghold of offense with your stronghold of mercy and forgiveness so I could see them the way that you see them. Redeemable, not lost, not hopeless. Redeemable, that there is something in them that you saw before you laid the foundation of the earth and I call that forth in Jesus' name. That's what we do with unforgiveness. All right, so these weapons, they, they are for tearing down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God or against God's knowledge. So it's not just knowing about God. That's what we say in English, knowledge of God. If you've taken a foreign language, you know, like if, if you say in Spanish, you would say the, the book of Stephen, which means Stephen's book. Right? It's, it's like that with Greek. So it's against God's knowledge. What does God know? That's, that's the question. We have these strongholds that are built through the speculations we've made that exalt themselves against God's knowledge. So the question we're always supposed to be asking in life is, God, what do you know about this? I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. God, I want, to know the, I want to know what you know about this. So there's what God knows, and then there's what the enemy would like us to know about this issue, about this person. And if we don't involve God in it, now we've got things that are exalting itself and saying, I know better than God. Now, nobody would really say that out loud, right? We know better than that. But when we argue with God, 
When we say, for example, you hear a preacher say, God loves you without condition. His arm is always extended to you. The Father's arms are always open wide. You can always come home to God's house and you will not be punished as you think you're going to be punished. And if something rises up in you and says, not, you don't know what I did. If you knew what I did, you'd know why I have a hard time believing that. Well, that is a, a stronghold lie that is exalting itself against the knowledge of God. Salvation is freely offered to whosoever will. And you're not special. You're not the exception. You are not the exception to that. No matter what you did, you are not special in that, well, the scripture never talked about me. Because what I did is worse than the son of Sam. Wow, that was an old memory right there. The 44 caliber killer, remember that? He was like one of those mass murderers in the 70s. Now, if you only knew what I did, I am worse than Adolf Hitler and what I did. Well, guess what? Salvation's extended, well, he's dead now, but salvation was extended to Adolf Hitler. There's nothing unique about any one of us that makes us beyond the reach of grace. Nothing. That's a lie. So that's what the enemy would like us to believe. Oh, you're hopeless now. This is the enemy's game is he tricks us into sin by saying everybody's doing it. You know, it's, it's not a big deal. Eat the fruit off that tree. You're not going to die. God was exaggerating. Just try it. Eat from the shame on you. I can't believe you. If anybody finds out what you did, they'll reject you forever. Oh my goodness, I can't. You call yourself a Christian? That's how he does it. Anybody else trip into that trap? I've stumbled in that pit more than once in my journey. It's a lie. It's an absolute lie. Nothing can actually separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing. So let's not let him. Let's not let him. Once we've identified the lie behind the stronghold, now we get out the sword of the spirit in our hand and we fight. And yes, the first thing is to get into the word of God itself. Every lie that we believe, it's already addressed in the word. And some people wrote the words 3,500 years ago that are the truths toward the lies that we believe. So find a, here's some homework for you. And this is the process of self-deliverance. Identify the lie. What is that thing I believe that I know is contrary to what God says? I'm asking why I believe it, but I'm also going to displace that stronghold lie with the truth from God's word. So I'm going to memorize it. I'm going to sing it. And I'm going to meditate on it day and night. I'm going to find scripture that counteracts the lie and I'm going to squish that stronghold under a righteous stronghold. It's like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Well, one of them Looney Tunes cartoons where the big building falls from the sky and road runners flattened underneath it. That's what God does with these strongholds when we build a righteous one on top of it. So start by meditating on the word. So let's say you're having a problem with fear right? You're afraid of whatever it is. I taught my kids this one when they were little, when they were afraid of the dark or they were having a season of nightmares or something like that. So when I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. David wrote that in Psalm 30 something. That's about all I can remember right now. Psalm 30 something. So it was a song that we taught our kids when they were little. It came from one of those scripture memory cassette tapes. 
When I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. I will trust in you. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. I've walked by my kids' bedrooms at 10 o'clock at night. I've heard the little angelic voices singing that song. And then I know the devil's not going to get a stronghold of fear of the dark in them because they have the word of God and they're meditating on it day and night. <laughs> you get up to that annoying person at work or the one who is stretching your love muscle beyond its capacity, so you think. You could walk by them and you could, you could just start singing, um, be kind one to the other tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God through Christ has forgiven. Do, 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 do. <laughs> you don't know that one? Ephesians 4.32. See, that one I know the address because they put it in the song. <laughs> the truth of God's word. Right now, everything in me wants to uh, just do something I might get fired for. But now I'm going to let God's word displace that and I'm going to learn how to get that word in my heart. I'm going to memorize it. I'll sing it and I'll practice it. I'll meditate on it day and night. And before you know it, now the fruits of the spirit are beginning to come quite effortlessly by being excellent at what's good, by submitting to God and all these other things get handled. And then finally, there's the last part, I think, for today, taking every thought captive. Thought is the word noema. It doesn't mean an intellectual thought. It's not like a musing on something like why are there interstate highways in Hawaii. It's not that kind of thought. This is what I think about when my brain runs wild. <laughs> Every thought means it's a thought that is leading up to an action. That's what these thoughts mean. They're not just random musings. They are, I'm planning something. I've got I've got a beginning idea and I'm working it out so that I can do some kind of action on the other side of it. Active thoughts. This same word is used in, earlier in the letter to the Corinthians when Paul said, basically, he was in the context, he was saying, we've got to forgive the brother that I addressed in my first letter to you. <laughs> it's always funny to me. Can you imagine being the dude in the church whose sin, it was about a guy who was with his stepmother or something like that. I'm not sure exactly what was going on. He was sleeping with his stepmother and the church wasn't doing anything about it. So Paul gave them instruction. Dude, you got to do something about that. How could you let that go? Imagine being that dude. Not only does the whole church know because you read the letter, but now it's in the Bible. Your sin is in the Bible for all time. For people to use you as an example, don't be that guy. <laughs> So Paul knew, look, he's going to get under, a, he's going to get under shame now. He's going to wonder, will the people of God ever view me apart from that sin that became known to everybody? And, and, and so this, that's the context. Paul's saying, look, uh, if you forgive him, I forgive him. And now you got to make sure that you do extra love on him to make sure he doesn't get trapped. And he goes, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. That's the same word, noema. We're not ignorant of the Satan's plans for action on this subject. And he might inspire some people to keep heaping shame on that guy. And, and maybe new people come to church and they, they meet him and go, oh, you're the guy. You're not going to be known. We know his schemes. His schemes are to make sure that person is always known by his worst moment. 
and instead we know what, what his plans are, what his thinking is, what his um, thoughts are toward this person. So let's not be ignorant and let's counteract that with love. So once a thought is recognized as a lie, we have identified our problem as soon as we know it's a lie. That's why it is so important to know the word of God, to know the, the actual word. I believe I've shared this example before here too, but counterfeit police, we have technology now that's replaced them. But back in the day, counterfeit police did not study, like if they wanted to know what a real $20 bill looks like, they didn't study a thousand different counterfeits. They studied the real one and they memorized every single flower and leaf and you know how big that font is and what where you know it's white there and then green and then dotted and they knew it knew a twenty dollar bill in their sleep so immediately they could spot a counterfeit that's what this word does for us when we have this word we could spot the enemy's lie from a mile away as soon as he gets half a sentence out of his mouth lie it doesn't even have a chance to take root. It doesn't get in there because we know what the Lord says already because it's in here and he'll never contradict this, not even through a prophet. This is so good right here to get this in our spirit and to know it, memorize it, sing it, meditate on it day and night. So any thought that we hold that did not originate in heaven should be viewed as a trespasser in the body of Christ, in the mind of Christ. It's trespassing in your mind. If I have a thought in me that didn't originate from heaven, it doesn't belong there. It's an enemy in my promised land. And you all know what, what well, now let's be Texans. What do they do in Texas when a trespasser comes into your house? They're about, I know it's like that around here too, man. I wouldn't trespass in most of your houses. I know you're armed and some of you are crack shots too. I've seen you, I've seen you with those clay birds and I wouldn't mess with you either. You obliterate it. If you take that lie, you find a trespassing, you got a thought and it's in there. You grab that thing, take a prisoner and you have permission. This is where inner healing comes in now. Take that prisoner, shake it down, interrogate it, waterboard it if you got to. Take that thing, from, where did you come from and what gives you the right to be filling my mind with your way of thinking. And now God will take you on a journey to find out where's the open door that he got in the mind of Christ. That's basically inner healing. That, that's what it looks like. Take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Taking those thoughts means that they are now bound and we're not bound anymore by them. But notice it does say taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Not to make it obey Christ, as some translations unfortunately put it, to the obedience of Christ. Because victory in spiritual warfare doesn't come about by striving. It doesn't come about by our religious efforts. Victory in spiritual warfare results in resting in the completed work of Christ. The work of the cross, trusting in Christ to do the work that we never could have done. We never could have done. Some of us came to Christ after years of religious striving and finally saying, you know what? I give up. I keep trying to overcome this addiction. I keep trying to overcome this thing that keeps destroying my life. You win, I lose. I need you. Some of us, that's our testimony. We, we just gave up on that. Why pick it back up again? After we knew already it's not gonna work. Christ in us simultaneously tearing down demonic strongholds and rebuilding righteous ones on top of them. We co-labor with, with this by feeding the kind of strongholds that we want alive in us.
What we feed is what we're gonna get. What kind of fruit do you want? What kind of tree do we want? Well, what do you wanna take into your root system? Let's begin to be excellent at what's good. Let's begin to meditate on the things that lead to righteousness. So last, uh, last point, and I think Corey has a word for us. So becoming free of strongholds is a process. It's a very simple process, the same way as keeping our body healthy. It's the same idea with keeping our spirit healthy. So what do they always tell us to do? Eat well, eat well, feed your spirit. Stop drinking a two liter of Mountain Dew and drink water. You can flavor it if water's not good enough. We tell it with our body, well, how about our spirit, our soul? Let's stop feeding our soul on things that we know. You know, I've had some Christians talk about, well, I got my guilty pleasure and I eat a little bit of junk food like that and, and all of that. And I'm not gonna get into convictions about rated R movies and, and whatnot. We know, you know that whatever you take in, what it leads your thoughts to do with that. And if you're feeding things that bring your thoughts in a direction that's outside of Christ, stop eating it. This is where our will comes into play. If we keep feeding that thing, you got to struggle with lust, stop looking at things that feed that lust. You got a problem with overeating, stop putting yourself in front of smorgasbords. Don't be doing Thanksgiving every day of the year. Maybe don't even do Thanksgiving that one day a year and carry it for a week. We, the point of eat well, feed our spirit. What does our spirit love? It loves the word of God. It loves all of it. It even loves reading Lamentations. Our spirit loves the book of Leviticus. Even if our mind's like, what the? Our spirit loves every word of the word of God because it's written on there. Our spirit gets alive when we feed ourselves on the written word because it says, ooh, I know that, I know that. I know the answer. So we eat well, rest, get enough rest, right? That's what they always say. Doctors always say, you gotta get enough rest. Get enough sleep at night, get enough rest. Well, our spirit needs rest too. A permanent rest. Like labor to enter, enter into his rest, which means no more striving. No more trying to make the work of God come to pass by natural efforts. No more picking up carnal warfare weapons to wage war against spiritual issues. Resting in Christ. Resting means cooperate with him. I'm here, I'm on the table, and I'm gonna cooperate you. But then it also means you gotta get exercise, right? You can't be a couch potato. We don't just sit back on a couch somewhere and say, okay, Jesus, do your thing. We're not, I mean, that patient on the operating table under anesthesia, that's not our whole life. That's moments where we let God in deep to do heart surgery, but then we get to go and do life again. So we gotta be doers of the word. There's no such thing as learning the word of God without putting the word of God into practice. We don't know anything until we've put it into practice. I make covenant with you and the Lord that I will never preach something that I haven't already experienced. And that's why there's some parts of the Bible I haven't preached yet because I haven't experienced it enough. And I don't feel like I could bring a living word out of it. I could read it to you, but then again, you could read it for yourself like I just exhorted you to. Being a doer of the word, we have to actually take action. And I would just, just leave you with this, this final thought that the very strongholds that you're fighting right now are gonna become your ministry. The stronghold that's given you the roughest time in overcoming it, God has a ministry hidden right underneath that. And when it gets destroyed, you're gonna love what he builds on top of it. Can we stand to our feet? Corey, you got a word?
so as you know, Stephanie was up here exhorting about sharing her story. So I just, what Pastor Steve was talking about today is part of my story. When he says, be patient in the process, be patient in the process. Back in 2009, him and I went to Liberia and I was struggling with unwanted uh, sexual thoughts. And one of the first things he told me was, take every thought captive. And back in 2009, I started doing that. So let's fast forward 14 years to 2023, and I was still was having problems with that. Unwanted sexual behavior, unwanted sexual thoughts. And I'm currently in counseling for that now, but I'm receiving inner healing now through that counseling. And there's things that may be in your past. This is what I've discovered through counseling is but there may be stuff like Pastor Steve was talking about, sexual abuse, physical abuse, whatever it may be. There may be stuff in your past that is contributing to that stronghold. And um, I just encourage you to go after it, uh, receive healing, go after it on your own. But if you need to, go after it with somebody else as well. But it is a process. And um, like Pastor Steve just said, it will become your ministry because I believe it's going to become my ministry. So... Love you, Praise God. Since I'm thinking of it, I want to use that as a teachable moment because uh, when Corey and I went to Liberia, we were eating at a restaurant and we walked out of the restaurant and a prostitute went right up to him. I mean, walked right past me and went right up to him. She goes, I like your height. Remember that? He had a simple word for her. I married. Hello, was ring in front of her face. And he just kept walking right past. But the enemy is drawn to whatever is still alive in us. And he knows how to send along. He can smell it like a scent. And he knows whatever strongholds we've got that we're still contending with, he'll keep sending things along our way to see if he can get us to stumble into it. Happy to say that Corey wasn't the least bit tempted by that. Um, but, but that is the way the enemy works. So next week... I want to exhort all of the prayer warriors in the house to come prepared to lay hands on people. And we're going to go into the demonic. We're going to actually get into what lives inside the stronghold. It's not just thoughts. The enemy is very real. And his favorite game is to make us believe that everything has a natural explanation. It's a mental illness. It's a condition. Man, we got more names for conditions now in our day than all of human history combined. And so we name it something so, that we, so the enemy can just remain hidden. If we have a demonic stronghold, it's a house for demons. So we're going to go after that. And we're going to look at it first in the scripture, but then we're going to do it. And we're going to minister deliverance to one another. In the meanwhile, as you go from this place, in Jesus' name, I pray that you will recognize every thought that stirs around in your mind. Recognize it for the enemy and trespasser that it is. Take up your weapons of warfare, which are mighty, for the destruction of those strongholds, and be unafraid to take the two-edged sword of the word of God and apply it. You take, you have authority in Jesus' name. May that authority and your understanding of that authority give you a holy born confidence not to make a peace treaty with the devil, 
and not to make peace with enemies who don't belong in your mind or your heart whatsoever, that this is your week of freedom. This is your season of deliverance. This is your time to become more than conquerors through Christ, not just in word, but in your life experience. Go from this place rejoicing in the power of the Spirit, because greater is he that's in you than the one who is in the world waiting to try to rob the seed of the word. May the seed of the word of God spoken, prophesied and sung today in our gathering take root and bear fruit in your life. I say fruits of righteousness come forth in the name of Jesus. Fruits of the spirit come and bear fruit in season and out of season for every saint of God in this place and watching us online. Go out with joy, be led forth in peace and you just watch those hills and those mountains break forth into singing before you. Amen.